Welcome to another edition of Anglican Unscripted, episode 664. I'm Kevin Coulson. I'm George Conger. Today is May 26th, 2021. All right, welcome to another show. This is the, what are we, Tuesday? No, it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I forget what day it is. It's Wednesday edition of Anglican Unscripted. We skipped Tuesday because George had pastoral duties he had to attend to. We skipped last week on Thursday and Friday because I had oral surgery and my mouth was really kind of full of gauze and painkillers and I was in no condition whatsoever to speak upon the topics of the church. Before we get too far, please like this show on YouTube and Facebook. If you get a chance and you we've talked about something that you want to comment and you want us to tell us what you think about that, please go to the comment section on YouTube and fill out a comment. We'll read them all. If you're not subscribed yet to the show, now's your chance. Now, this is not a mainline YouTube influencer channel. Okay, we don't have 13 million subscribers or 25 million subscribers. We have just over 6,000 subscribers. We love every one of you, though, just as much as we would if you were 13 million. Um, and when, oh, we have a podcast. If you are looking at this and you just see two grayish, old, 50 overweight people talking about Anglican politics and you'd rather just listen to it in audio form, go to the show notes on YouTube and you can click on the podcast and get it downloaded to your phone. George, how you been doing? Oh, itching my ear while you're talking. (laughs) Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, We're in the post-Easter law period. Um, So it's a lot of time of reaction, both in the church world and in the parish world. I uh, have uh, I had 40 letters, pastoral notes, cards to write by hand today, and I've only through about halfway. Uh, no, and it's just uh, uh, playing catch up with all that's been going on. Well, sure. I mean, uh, for most clergy person, the, the week after Easter and uh, the weeks after Easter into Pentecost here, it's exhausting. Now we're in ordinary times. We can go back to ordinary stress, not the Easter stress. So, well, I'm a great believer in handwritten notes. I mm-hmm. don't. Uh, if I need to say something that is uh, pastoral or celebratory, I'd like to do it with my own handwriting. Um, now I don't have the best handwriting, but it gets better uh, as I write more often. Because yeah, I think my- that adds a. That adds a personal touch that uh, in this day of email and uh, text messages, we really don't have anymore. No, and especially one of the old fashioned things I do. You know, and it it really helps with certain age dynamics. Uh, If I wrote a handwritten note to my mom, it's going to mean more than if I wrote a handwritten note to my son, you know, who probably couldn't read it anyway because it's cursive. It's just a time, time different issue. Uh, Now, today's show doesn't have a lot of news because there's just not a lot of news going on around the world. Uh, I'm going to bring up the Anglican Inc. website. We'll talk about some of the big stories. But if you're an Anglican or an Episcopalian or somebody who watches American news, you know that this is kind of the one-year memorance of the the death of George Floyd. And the Episcopal Church is certainly going to take note and uh, promote it beyond reason. 
and everybody's going to be dealing with this a little differently because we've gone through the trial the police officer who was involved in it was found guilty uh he will be sentenced and likely go to prison and you, you would think okay we got that behind us it's time to move on well in certain areas of the church and certain areas of society and especially the liberals there's there's no moving on because they want to continue to make the point that well everything's racist and george floyd is the the statue and the culmination of everything that's wrong with america everything that's wrong with politics everything that's wrong with capitalism everything that's wrong with uh white people and i would suspect the church is going to keep this banner going and the liberals are going to keep this banner going for decades to come george yes but i don't think many people are going to flock behind this banner uh the diocese of minnesota did a george floyd memorial service presiding bishop michael curry has said some stuff and they're still harping on this uh systematic racism uh, white Christian nationalism motif and themes that the United States is overwhelmed and overrun with uh, uh, white, you know, racial, racist white extremists. Now, living as I do in the Deep South, I've yet to meet one of these these uh, phantasms of the presiding bishop. And we have uh, guys around here that drive around with pickup trucks with big Confederate banner, bat, uh, battle flags flying mm -hmm. from the bumper. Kevin, you've seen them now that you've been down here. Yeah, I, I mean, racism, the, the definition of racism has changed over time. Mm -hmm. um, and, we, you know, we've, because we're Americans and because we have slavery in our history and it's a horrible scar, we oftentimes uh, mix the two together. You know, that we, we, we blame slavery for racism and we say, you know, uh, racism continues and therefore slavery continues. And it's a it's a big mismatch because we're dealing with ethnic peoples. I'm going to go way back, George, and talk about the days of Archie Bunker. Okay, when it wasn't just a ethnic people by melanin, it was an ethnic people by every creed color you could think of that Archie Bunker blamed for everything. It was the Poles. I hate to use that word. It was the, you know, you can go through all the different uh, slang terms of ethnic groups that uh, Archie Bunker blamed for society's problems. You could say that, dude, that was racism. But it wasn't melanin racism. It was racism to blame somebody else for the problems of society. The definition of racism. Now it's a little different. Now it's all about skin color. It's all about uh, uh, where you came from and uh, y your ancestry. Well, what, one of the things that gets me is the degree of colossal historical ignorance that is displayed by people who should know better. Yeah. People who make these frankly stupid, historically inaccurate, nonsensical moral claims such that... Uh, you know, uh, what is the presiding bishop's uh, moral standing on these issues of racism? There really isn't one anymore. Because mm. he's been crying wolf and he's been telling fibs and stories and tales for so long that the vast majority of people, in my experience, in the pews, just sort of nod their heads and go along with it. They're either, either think, yeah, that's what we expect from him because he's a bit of a clown, or 
Yes, that's what we expect of him because he's a modern-day prophet. The, uh, this, this topic has been beaten to death, and I don't think there's any long... I, I think there's going to be reaction sooner rather than later so that, uh, you know, the ACNA, not just the Episcopal Church, but the ACNA is being infected by this critical racism theory virus. Uh, the new Nazism uh, of uh, racial demagoguery and racial ideology where certain people have a closer experience to God based upon their skin tone uh, or, their, or their genes, their history remembers these things. And it's all nonsense, of course. It has no, uh, it is contrary to the clear words of scripture that we read in Christ there is no slave, no free Greek, no Jew, male, no female. Because the modern-day mantra is, in Christ, there are only blacks and transgenders and uh, non-white Hispanics. And in other words, just we might as well have moved to South Africa in 1948, where they would uh, had so many different classifications of what color you were. That's where this new race theory is taking us into utter lunacy, and its well, practitioners are can't can't claim the they can no longer claim the the the. Uh, the tag of being Christian. They're anti-Christian. They're wolves within our congregations, wolves within our churches that are seeking to destroy us and do the work of Satan. Well, I think it's become a cult. It's And it's constructed by a cult because to question critical race theory makes you a racist. They've changed the definition. The definition of racism used to be uh, to look down upon somebody else's race uh, as less than yours less than equal to yours that was the uh, uh think of all the webster def def different definitions now racism means just you're racist if you're non uh if, if you're caucasian you are racist now now for the intellectually challenged among our viewers there, there will be some people who will immediately shout out oh you are ignoring the past, you're ignoring this, you're ignoring that. No, I'm not. No. I'm not saying that at all. That's not the issue that we're talking about. We're not talking about history here. We're talking about modern theories. And these modern theories, I am calling satanic. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I'm, not saying, yeah. I'm not saying that slavery didn't exist. I'm not saying that discrimination didn't exist. I'm saying those people who are peddling these modern theologies are peddling a solution that is worse than the problem. That is what I'm saying. Two wrongs don't make a right, and that's mm -hmm. critical race. <laughs> I mean, do George and Kevin believe that slavery is a stain uh, on world history? Absolutely. Every culture, nation, tribe uh, has at some point enslaved its own people or other peoples. It's just the way it oh. is. I'll take you, you know, one of the little fads you see, Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic leadership wore little kente cloth uh, scarves and kneeled in the Capitol building as an atonement for slavery. Mm -hmm. Well, do you know the kente cloth is the symbol of a particular tribe in Ghana and West Africa that did the slavery? <laughs> slavery. They, they, they traded. Were the they, the tra they were the traders. They were the people who captured the Ashanti. They captured and sold other people to the European traders on the coast mm -hmm. so tell me how you are standing against slavery it's like saying i'm standing against fascism and against nazism but i'm wearing the sign of mussolini's fascist party you know 
These people, in other words, I, I see these church leaders in the Episcopal Church and the ACNA and other churches who mean well. That's the sad thing. They mean well. They want people to be happy. But because they're not well educated and they don't think logically and systematically, they fall into these ruts of trying to be popular and appease things. And what it turns out is that they are being the exact sort of clergy that the Gospels and the Epistles warn us against, mm -hmm. the false teachers who want to please your ears rather than stand for the truth of Christ in all seasons. And let me bring a great example. The melanin of the Egyptians of old in the Old Testament was much darker, blacker, than the Jews of the time. Uh, it was not a melanin issue. Melanin does not make you racist or anti-racist or non-racist. It does not control uh, your moral code. Melanin has nothing to do with it. Uh, is there uh, white privilege? Eh, not anymore. I, you could argue that in the first uh, couple hundred years, but ever since capitalism and the civil rights movement uh, took well hold here uh, in the uh, 19th century, eh, not so much anymore. Yeah, unless you're Asian or white. You could say, I can't get in the university. Is that racism? Well, the government says, no, of course not. Uh, George, we've talked enough about racism to get ourselves in trouble. Um, I just wanted to, because there's not really a lot of stories uh, to talk about, we could just uh, go through the Anglican.inc website here. There's a couple that really got my eye. And first of all, it's uh, St. Paul's Cathedral uh, got hit hard by COVID. Uh, they have no money, and they're going to the government for help. What's the story there? Well, a question for rest in Parliament of the Second Church of States Commissioner, Andrew Silas. Andrew Silas is a member of Parliament, and the party in power has a government official from the Parliament who is the Second Church of States Commissioner. Because the Church of England is an established church, it has its representatives in the House of Lords, and it has the Second Church of States Commissioner in Parliament. And a question was asked, how is St. Paul's Cathedral in London doing financially? And the Church of States Commissioner reported that with the COVID lockdowns, uh, income is down almost 80-90%. Wow. And the upkeep uh, is just, uh, they're not able to make ends meet. They're getting grants from different government and church bodies to pay salaries here and to preserve these artworks there. But the unglamorous stuff of uh, repairing a toilet or uh, making sure the heat can come on in the winter, that can't be covered when you lock out the tourists to drop in their quarters and dimes or pounds and pence into the offering plates as they look at the historical monuments. It's and, in trouble. It's in it, trouble. Well, the entire church is in trouble. This one is uh, almost unrecoverable for its size and its its place in you know, certain Christian history. Uh, also, I want to talk a little bit. You and I have talked about this before, uh, but the uh, uh, Archbishop Canterbury finally talks to uh, uh, Smythe victims, and um, there's controversy around this because what did he know and when did he know it? The Archbishop of Canterbury uh, met with some Smythe victims now several years after the original after the victims asked to meet with him, 
the Archbishop of Canterbury issued a very strong statement condemning this abuse and saying that if you if you were a member of the clergy or the church hierarchy and you knew about this and did nothing, you're going to be in trouble. Ooh. And immediately, uh, for instance, Lee Fernie. Lee is a Smythe victim. He's a, currently a missionary, I believe, in Malawi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he on, went on to Twitter to say, well, the problem is, Justin, that you are one of the people that you are calling for their punishment. Uh, you you were part of this circle, you were informed, uh, and basically he did a point-by-point uh, refutation of the claims that Justin will be made of what action will be done, noting that all these things have been made known, yet the church did nothing or said nothing, and is well, the Archbishop's statement was not received well by the victims. No. <laughs> saw it as too little, too late, and just political relations stuff. Well, yeah, I, like I would like to see who steps down, who gets fired, or who gets punished in this. And we know that the Archbishop of Canterbury will likely not uh, be one of those people. But in the, in the same vein here i hate to say this we're going to go back to our page um sydney minister offers praise for jonathan fletcher what this is proven to be a very popular story on anglican inc it was written by julian mann yeah. one of our correspondents mm-hmm. based in england and simon manchester or winchester simon manchester yeah. i believe is a very popular north sydney minister diocese of sydney uh has uh, very successful preaching ministry, and in the early 1980s, he was a curate in Helen's Bishop's Gate, and knew Jonathan uh, Fletcher uh, then, and uh, he released a statement that was printed in the newspaper Evangelicals Now, uh, essentially saying, I know Jonathan Fletcher, my wife and I, for 40 years, and we can't imagine this is true. Now, on the face of it, this is sort of thing that a friend would say at the start of a scandal. That I've known him all this time, and he's a great guy. I don't, unless you know, that, that it's not a bad statement in itself. No, because if anybody remembers, Bill Clinton had hundreds of people say, "Oh, Bill Clinton would not do such a thing." This is ridiculous. The problem is, the problem is that this statement comes at the end of the Fletcher saga, where there's no doubt. About Fletcher's misdeeds, and it's remarkably tin-eared. In other words, what it's saying, uh, this is this is a silly thing to say, but they used to say about Mussolini, he made the trains run on time. You could always say, you know, hit, under Hitler, they had a hundred percent employment and the shops were full. Well, yes, they also gassed three million Jews or however many it was. Sure. In other words, I'm not equating Jonathan Fletcher to Hitler, but what I am saying is that there's certain things that the timing of the statement, it can be innocuous, he can be naive, but it's extraordinarily ill-timed, a defense of Jonathan Fletcher basically on the grounds of, I like him, he's been nice to me. Um, Hitler loved his dog, Blondie, you know. No, I know. I, uh, Sting used to sing a song where the Russians love their children too, you know, uh, from the eighties. Yeah, it, it just—it's one of those things where yeah, they're not equal. But boy, you gotta be careful what you're saying here. 
Um, I think one of the biggest stories I saw on Anglican.inc, this is for people who don't know, you're new to the program, this is a sister show of Anglican.inc, um, is the theological turning point of the Vatican going from, and we've seen this before, um, you know, they were kind of going down the, the LGBTIQ route, and have they stopped? Has the Pope said, we're not going to go that far? Or is it not the Pope being the influence and it's Cardinal Zender him saying, don't listen to the Pope? Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Sandeman, uh, the editor of Eternity Magazine, mm. a newspaper in Australia, is a friend of this uh, Anglican Inc. And we publish some things from time to time and he republishes some of our stuff. And he had a really good essay, opinion piece, about the liberal train it, uh, went off the tracks in the Catholic Church. We had the recent uh, scene of about a hundred German Roman Catholic clergy celebrating same-sex blessings and marriages as a public statement of distancing dis themselves from the, the formal Catholic teaching on human sexuality. Well, they may have been banking on Pope Francis, who has been a little fuzzy on this topic. He famously told a plane full of Vatican correspondence, who am I to judge when the question of homosexuality was raised? Was it illicit? Was it illicit? Well, they tested the waters, and they've been smacked down very hard. Uh, not as hard as conservatives would like. They still have their jobs. They, they're still in place. They're still in the building. But, <laughs> but the... Uh, slide to the liberalization of Catholic teaching on moral theology appears this month to have stopped and have solidified around its eternal uh, unchanging teachings on the human condition of human sexuality. Which is good. I mean, anybody who knows the last 85, 90 years of academia in Germany knows how things go bad so quickly and uh, knows the history of the last hundred years of the church in Germany, uh, the Roman Catholic Church and Lutheran Church, knows that it does not take much of a spark for them to go liberal very quick. And What, uh, what, what the Germans have missed, and it's a typical, typical German intellectual failure, is they take things on face value. Yes, they do. <laughs> so when they hear Pope Francis say this, they don't hear it through the eyes of a South American. Pope Francis is a Peronist. He is uh, exactly a product right, yes. of Argentina uh -huh. and its unique political culture. And Juan Peron, the dictator for much of uh, Francis's uh, young adult life, was famous for playing both sides against the middle of saying one thing to one group, <laughs> another thing to another group, and only hitting, only being absolutely clear when crisis arose and everything sort of fell apart. So Francis has been sort of speaking out of both sides of his mouth from, an, from a Northern European perspective. And the Germans heard what they wanted to hear and thought, well, this is our opportunity. Let's run with it. Well, they ran straight into a brick wall. Which is good. We support that. Um, I'm looking at saw one more story I wanted to talk about. Um, and I hate to, well, there's two more stories. Uh, violence in Nigeria uh, is growing worse and worse. We've talked about it 
on and off for probably the entirety of our show. Uh, uh, what's been going on uh, with uh, Islamic attacks, with the book of Haran, and uh, uh, here specifically in Nigeria, more and more outbreaks of violence where Christians are being killed and targeted for their religion. And I thought we'd talk about it once more time because that's what Unscript is here for. It's a global program. And this this is hit home now, George. The, the primate uh, of Nigeria, Henry Ndukaba, gave a, uh, uh, an address to a diocesan synod where he said, Nigeria is turning into a second Somalia. Yes. What that means is that not, it's not becoming a Muslim country, rather that the rule of law and government is breaking down. And you see that in Nigeria, where the Nigerian people have lost confidence in their government and as a federal entity. And in response, we're seeing agitation once again to split up Nigeria into uh, tribal-based countries, Biafra for the Igbo in the, in the southeast, for example, and in northern Nigeria for Muslims only, the, the Hausa. So, so it's, what's happening is that uh, they've not resolved the Fulani tribesmen issue. Fulani tribesmen are nomadic herders who drive cattle and the northern part of Nigeria, where they're from, has been pretty much deforested by their work. And they're now moving south into the farmlands, which are, which are farmed by Christian, predominantly Christian agriculturalists and farmers. Now, if you've got cows grazing in your corn patcher, it destroys your corn crop. And when they try to drive the cows away, the Fulani respond with gunfire. And now they don't even ask if we can graze here, they just do it. Yes, they do. So, and the, the Nigerian army is led by Muslim generals, and the Christian leadership is saying that the army is biased against Christians. They don't uh, prevent attacks, they don't disarm the Fulani, they just let things go. And the Archbishop's warning is that uh, we could, could become another Somalia. Uh, and just an anarchic country that cannot be governed. Yeah, well, we saw Sudan split north and south. And you and I have talked at least the last three or four years about the possibility of Nigeria slipping, uh, slipping away and splitting into, into two as well. But I don't think that's going to be viable. I think it's going to be broken down into at least four tribes, five tribes. Uh, just because the government there, uh, the army, is so hands off. They don't want it. They, you know, they have picked a side, and they don't care about the violence that's going on. And this is the first time I've seen a church demand the army and the police do something. You know, but you, that's the only way forward is if they finally take a side, and the side has to be neutrality. Well, last week a plane crash killing ten senior officers, including the chief of staff of the army. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was remarkable, the response. Yes, it's a sad thing. But, and the king of Saudi Arabia sent his condolences, and Josiah Daou Faron from Lambeth sent his condolences. But if you read a lot of the popular uh, social media, there was almost a sense of, thank goodness we're cleaning house now, because the 10 guys at the top of the tree have been shaken loose, and maybe we'll get some action from the army now. 
And I think it's such a sad commentary that an, uh, an accident or a tragedy like this elicits the response of, it's the only way. Blood has to flow before this country gets straightened out. And when people start saying that, they pretty soon become acclimatized to that. Yeah. And violence it may not be that far away. Final story, George. Scientists and theologians join forces for a new Anglican Communion Science Commission, which, if I step back, I just hope it's benign. It's, you know, they, they're, they're bored. They have some money. They want to fly to London and have lunches and teas and have some, some stay and sightseeing in London. I hope that's all this is about. I hope that we're not going to, you know, oh, look, we think there's a gay gene and we're going to help fund it. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I suspect. I hope not, George. Well, my question is, why? Why? Yeah, no. Why do I, we have this? In other words, who asked for this? The Anglican Consultative Council didn't ask for this. The uh, primates didn't ask for this. The Lambeth Conference didn't ask for this that I'm aware of. Um, they haven't met for 12 years, so if they're finally doing it for Lambeth, that's good of his weight. Now, but the primates have asked for a commission on corruption. Corruption is a big deal both within the state and within the church in mm -hmm. many parts of the world. Our standing joke is about, Kevin, can I do a story on Indian corruption? Uh, <laughs> can we do a season, not a show? Yeah, no, I know. Can we, and yeah. the primates have asked for this commission to be formed on corruption. No go. The Anglican Consultative Council has asked for a specific uh, dialogue commission to be formed on the human sexuality issue. No go. Instead, we have this anodyne science and science and faith uh, thing, which will put out these lovely papers and pad resumes of people, but will have no real effect on the ground for the Anglican world. Whereas battling corruption in the church and in the states in which we live would have tremendous effect. But of wow. course, the church, the ACC leadership and Justin Welby basically are all sign and show, but no substance. And this is another example of the lack of substance. I guarantee after their first meeting, when they put together their first communique, George, and this is, this is Kevin's prophecy, that it will address climate change. That's going to be the first and you know, and I, there's some people out there for that's their issue. They're going to fight that yeah. battle mm -hmm. to the end of time. Well, good for them. I'm glad yeah. they have a hobby to keep them busy in their declining years. Yeah. But you know, let's take well. Let's take climate change is real. I don't know how it works. I don't know why it works. But our last story about Nigeria is a climate change story. Mm -hmm. But here it's not because all this uh, ozone is being pumped into the air. It's because of overgrazing, man-made uh, deforestation in northern Nigeria, leading to the tribesmen moving to southern Nigeria. And then they, when they graze up, cut down all the trees, overgraze, guess what moves south? The Sahara Desert. Yes, that is a real change. But what are they going to talk about? They're gonna, are they going to talk about China? Are they going to talk about India? 
they're going to talk about the United States and Western Europe um, as the culprits. It's, it's so predictable and so unimportant in the great scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about over uh, deforestation. Talk about you know the specifics, not the generics. Yeah, and of something that is not settled in the scholarly uh, world. Earn your plane. It tickets. may be for Al Gore. <laughs> yeah, Al, Al Gore may know the answer that the scientists haven't figured out. But yeah. now, earn, earn your plane tickets to London. Address something uh, that's important to the church and that can uh, change lives and certainly bring them closer to God. Um, George, that looks like all the stories that I can think of. We want to talk about uh, anything on your list that we missed. Well, I should mention a story we're not going to go into detail, but just to acknowledge that it's out there. The, the Bishop of Winchester saga is, is engendering a great deal of comments on social media. Yeah. And we've been talking to people, and we think we know what's going on, but we have to allow it to go through its own denouement. We'll give it a week or two, and maybe we'll have an expert on uh, from that area that could help us. Um, and uh, I think that is it. I'm looking here. Well, senior, the only thing I would senior add, warden jailed for stealing eighty nine thousand in New Orleans. Yeah. Who does that nowadays? <laughs> I wonder if. Oh, I'm not allowed to say his name, but okay. the Father So and So, who is a guest. I think that might have been his old church, but I don't know. You're right. Oh, it'd be cool to have him on, wouldn't it? I would look f- so forward to that. All right, so let's end out the show then. I'm Kevin Coulson. And I'm George Conger, and you've been watching episode 664 of Anglican on the Script.